Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Profiles podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Baldwin. My intention for this show is to create a space for open conversations with women from all backgrounds, to shed light on stories of entrepreneurship, creativity, human potential, and self-expression. Join me here every week for another dose of inspiration and a new feminine profile. Hello, and welcome back to the Feminine Profiles podcast. Today we have Amanda Wallstead of Roots to Leaves on, and Amanda is a registered dietitian, certified lactation counselor, Ayurvedic yoga instructor, and overall so passionate about women's health and women's fertility and hormonal balance. So I was so excited to dive into all the topics with her from coming off birth control. She actually is launching a masterclass on supporting people in that journey. She works one-on-one with clients, but has become super busy and not sure if she's at capacity or not, but definitely reach out if you're interested in one-on-one coaching. But she also has a lot of beautiful courses. So from egg retrieval, if people are going through egg retrieval process or freezing their eggs or IVF to cycle syncing courses to the pathway to pregnancy and supporting people in the first to fourth trimester. And yeah, she has wonderful masterclasses coming off birth control, fueling for fertility and all about period health, breastfeeding, like anything to do with women women's health, the delicate women's reproductive system, and balancing everything that has to do with that. She really supports people, whether you have a generally easy time but have like specific questions, want to learn more about wonderful recipe ideas and just ways to supercharge your health. She has wonderful resources on her Instagram and answers her Instagram followers questions once a week um, on a big Q&A day. So she's just such a inspiring follow and a resource if you want to add more, more balance into your life. And today we kind of cover it all from hormone health to how she entered this line of work and how she decided she wanted to work one-on-one with clients And there's so many other topics I want to discuss with Amanda. I think we'll be recording again at the end of the month all about the impact of alcohol and caffeine on fertility and women's health and also about anxiety during pregnancy. I think there's a lot of hormone surges during pregnancy and so um, I've been researching a lot about anxiety and OCD flare-ups in the pregnancy journey. I think it's super fascinating. So understanding how to fuel with food and different supplementation. Um, I'm sure Amanda will give me all the tips. So um, look out for that one, that episode as well. I actually went to school with Amanda and we kind of touch on how this journey of entering the uh, women's health space started probably towards the end of high school for her. So I got to see the very early stages of what that process looked like and how deeply Amanda has always cared about health and nutrition and movement. And so, yeah, she really walks the walk. And I'm so excited for you to learn everything from her. I think it's such a cool brand that she's building and resource for women. I think we both, um, and I think a lot of my audience sometimes feels that typical routes don't always feel um, supportive like you know the typical if you call up your doctor and say hey like 
Like, for example, years ago when I was having some like pelvic pain, I went to my doctor and they like looked at me and they're like, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm like, well, that can't really be the answer because I feel pain. And so that's why I just feel like I've become a detective of my own life and understanding what's work, what works for me by trial and error and doing research and seeing people on Instagram and what has worked for them. So just having another resource out there through Roots to Leaves is so helpful for everyone who might not feel like they're seen um, in the traditional sense in traditional medicine. So I hope you enjoy this one. Thank you, Amanda, for coming on today. I, of course, know you from school, and I feel like your journey even probably started then or even before. I remember from afar, we would be like, oh my gosh, Amanda is eating the yummiest foods. She's doing <laughs> yoga while we were all living our like crazy college lifestyle. <laughs> so I would love to hear kind of how far back your journey started entering this line of work when you first discovered that you wanted to support women and work with them. So however you want to kick it off. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's been a, a long, long journey now. And I, I didn't really think about this too much before, but I guess it initially started when I was 15 and I studied abroad in Switzerland actually for a semester and just basically filled my plate while I was there. It was my first time away from home and I had autonomy over my food to a certain extent with just chocolate and cream and meat and like Snickers bars. And I left that semester feeling so honestly awful in my body. I think that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And as a young woman at the time and without many resources available to me, uh, I just kind of looked up online how to be healthy and it told me to go vegan. So that's actually the initial thing that prompted me into making any sort of dietary shifts or lifestyle shifts to uh, try and support a healthier way forward. But with a bit more intention, I would say it started back at Cornell, as you mentioned. And at the time, I was majoring in media communications and I had an internship I think it was my freshman year actually, doing the marketing for a lovely dietetic private practice. And during my time there, I realized how much more interested I was in the nutrition side of things rather than the marketing. Mm -hmm. So that's really what initially started to shift my focus into food and nutrition and set me on that path to becoming a registered dietitian. But even in, in knowing that that's what I wanted to do, I still felt like there was something missing from the field, or at least in the more conventional approach. And things have shifted a bit since then, but a lot of dietitians at the time were really focusing on weight loss or offering more you know, restrictive diets as a way to change the body, or maybe just generally trying to help people get quote unquote healthy, right? And there just seemed to be major factors left out of the conversation, like sourcing, like overall lifestyle alignment, connection to the body, the tie between the emotional and the physical, even the energetic, if you want to go down that route. And then, of course, my favorite topic overall, hormones, specifically around women's health. So at this point, I had an interest in women's health, uh, both because of a lovely gender media studies professor I had at Cornell who really opened up my eyes to a lot of the stereotypes and, and pressures and discrepancies in care that women face, but also coupled with just my own experience of being a woman and facing body pressures and beauty ideals and medical gaslighting and so on, right? So 
I started on this journey of nutrition, you know, passionate and excited, but kind of knowing it wasn't the complete picture. And, and that's where I was when I started my master's at Columbia. And while I was there, that's when things really started to shift. So initially, I was actually focused on just prenatal care because I thought that that was the best way to serve women and to set up a healthier generation of little ones. And that's actually what led me to become a certified lactation counselor and also go through the doula training at the time, which I know we spoke about briefly as well. Um, and it was through this that I started to realize that actually way before pregnancy, uh, way before even trying to conceive, there is so much that can be touched on and healed and support offered for women and, and so much knowledge and connection that can be established. So it was this realization coupled with my own pretty tough experience of coming off of birth control, where I started to realize that the more conventional approach to women's health wasn't working for me and not for many women that I was witnessing moving through this path either. So that's where I really started to get into more of the functional and holistic care when I became a yoga and Ayurveda instructor, when I started going through the more functional medicine trainings, like with, with Dr. Ram, for example. And all of this led me to now what I do today at Roots to Leaves, which is really serving as a holistic dietitian and health coach to women from all paths of life, you know, coming off of birth control to pregnancy to just wanting to better understand their body, to connect them back to themselves and ideally find ease, health and gratitude. So that's that's my, my long path here. <laughs> Yeah, so many areas of that I'm so passionate about. I know we talked about prenatal nutrition, postpartum support, all of that super delicate time for women. And of course, it starts long before then. But I'd be curious, like, you were so interested in the research, so passionate about creating like this space where you felt was like missing in the market. Mm -hmm. How did you then feel confident to be like, okay, I'm ready to teach this to people? Like, I think that's like a whole nother area. I think some people are passionate, but then face this imposter syndrome, like who am I to show up in this space and teach something different? How did you kind of get the confidence to teach? Did you have mentors? I'd be curious how you then uh, took that next step to working with clients. Totally. And and I'll just acknowledge here that the imposter syndrome is still real, right? I think that that's, that's something that's really hard to, to break free from. And I think especially as women, we tend to unfortunately question ourselves quite a lot. And I find to be quite important to continue to come back to our why as our main motivator as to why we feel qualified to speak on these topics. Because again, speaking to intuition, speaking to lived experience, almost every woman that I know would have something beautiful to offer in this space and could probably teach me a lot as well too. Um, so I think one, just kind of connecting back to our own why, our own lived experience and our own uh, inner voice and confidence is key for anyone trying to uh, educate, support, guide, teach, create in any professional space. Mm -hmm. But from that, uh, yeah, I went through some some pretty rigorous trainings. I'm still undergoing them. So for those that, that don't know, to become a registered dietitian, I mean, it's it feels like a million prereq classes. It's a master's degree. It's 1,200 plus supervised practice hours in hospitals and different rotations and a national exam. So I've had some pretty more rigorous training, I would say, in the nutrition side of things. But from that wanted to make sure that I really had the tools and education to equip myself to best serve women in this space in the more holistic side of things, as you mentioned. And so that's where I did a 
functional dietitian training under a wonderful RD named Kelly, who runs something called Leveraging Labs. Uh, I'm undergoing, currently wrapping up in December, a women's health functional and holistic medicine training under pretty renowned OBGYN, Dr. Aviva Ram. And then with that, I also have mentors in the more yoga, spiritual, Ayurvedic space that I'm consistently working on. And with that, I think staying up to date, right? So I've completed these trainings, but making sure to continue the education and remembering that I don't have all the answers, right? I'm also still a student here learning um, is key. And so making sure to stay up to date in the research, but also continue to explore your own self-discovery, your own experience and other ways to offer support through conversations with mentors. I absolutely want to dig into like the the problems that clients often have when they reach out to you, getting off birth control, all those things. But first, I just have to acknowledge it sounds like you're doing so much, have so many trainings, have such a like beautiful personal practice that supports you to do all this. So how do you even schedule your time to fit it all in the day while still maintaining rest? It's tough. I'll just be very clear, especially for anyone who's listening that's maybe struggling with this. I mean, it's it can be really hard. And as women, I think we face so many pressures and are expected to be high performing and constantly in a, a go-getter mentality. And as a result, it, it tends to deprioritize for many of us, myself included, the softness, the receiving, the flowing, the creating, the, the connection, right? So it is, I think, difficult to do, especially when there's maybe other pressures in the back of your mind. For me, it's, it's trying to run a business. But mm-hmm. again, managing time so that you fill your own cup is key to better show up in other areas of your life. And so for me and my personality type and constitution, clear boundaries and acceptance are probably the biggest thing. So at mm-hmm. this point, and this is just what works for me, I take one day completely off of work. Um, and that's really just as a way to reconnect to myself. Uh, and I don't do anything during that day with a screen involved, especially. So that's number one. And I stop work after 6 p.m. usually with really no exceptions. And I use that time to, like I said, fill my cup, whether that's through yoga and breath work and meditation, or maybe a good book or time with friends, something of that nature, but just time that's dedicated to me that is really not about producing an outcome in some way. Mm-hmm. And then similarly, practicing acceptance. So whether it's around accepting that something isn't perfect or accepting that I might not make the arbitrary content creation deadline I set for myself, um, all of that is also important for how I choose to manage my time and continue to show up for myself and in my work. Beautiful. Okay. Now getting off birth control, I have now successfully converted three of my friends and I've, I've seen like a real shift when I even talk about it with people like last, like a year and a half ago when I moved on to natural cycles and went off birth control. A lot of my friends were like, Oh, that's like, you're doing like fake birth control. I'm like, no, it is like a beautiful proven method. It does work. And now people are like, tell me more. So I have seen a shift. But yeah, I would love to hear kind of how you approach clients when they come and tell you that they want to get off birth control or they need to make some shift in their uh, hormonal health. Yeah. So the coming off of birth control, as you mentioned, I feel like it's getting more and more interest. And it's, it's an interesting time to be discussing this, and it's also a really personal choice. And so whenever someone comes to me and they ask me, you know, should I get off of birth control? My first response is, well, I can't make that decision for you. 
it, it really has to come from you and weighing uh, you know, pros and cons and what makes sense. And I think that's that's really important and I wanna make sure that, that is put out there. But with that, for someone who is choosing to come off of birth control, I mean, you can technically just stop your pill packet, right? And then you're off of it. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, a potential route. And then you're off of birth control and you're not taking the synthetic hormones anymore and your body will you know, find its baseline, whatever that baseline may be. But what we see oftentimes is in coming off of birth control, the baseline that maybe we are expecting to come to, which is what we think it's going to look like how we were on birth control, right? So maybe not having those ebbs and flows, being pretty consistent, um, tends to not be there. Or we even have a slew of symptoms coming up because birth control was suppressing our body's natural hormonal response for so long. Um, that we just are unaware of maybe a PCOS diagnosis or estrogen dominance or uh, different types of hormonal conditions that were actually there all along, but the hormonal birth control was kind of covering it up, if you will. So for people who are trying to come off of birth control and really want to make it an easier transition in their body and try and uh, support their body's response to it and find ease and a baseline more comfortably, there are definitely things we can start to prioritize and depends a little bit on the person. But a big part of it I always start with is really supporting the liver and the gut. And that's because our our liver is like the detoxification organ, if you will. It works really hard every single day. And it's what's also going to be really processing through birth control. And so coming off of birth control, we want to make sure we're giving the liver some TLC because it's just been working hard, you know, every single day with all those pills for, you know, sometimes decades at a time. So bringing in some liver support would be number one. And then number two is also supporting the gut. And that's because we do know that hormonal birth control can uh, interfere with our gut microbiome. And as a result, our gut microbiome can influence everything from, of course, digestion, but also immunity and even moods, right? Uh, so by bringing in gut support, by reinoculating our gut with high-quality probiotic-rich foods can also go a long way. And then I guess the last thing I'll note, too, is that hormonal birth control tends to deplete the body of different nutrients. So making sure we are now restoring those nutrients will be key, and we can do that both through food, but also through you know high-quality prenatal supplementation, which is sometimes necessary depending on kind of the foundation that people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Of course, people have, yeah, different responses once coming off of birth control. Sometimes it's, okay, you got your period right away, nothing mm-hmm. changed. Other times it takes months I've seen with my friends. Um, yeah, the spectrum really ranges. But for those people who they come off, they have like a what I would what I know as a good, healthy period and um, cycle length and all those things mm-hmm. and are kind of just symptom free. I think some people then when they try to become pregnant, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I wasn't ovulating. I had no idea that this wasn't mm-hmm. happening. What are other things that you can kind of look for that you might not even know? Are there tests? Are there like ovulation pain? Like what, what symptoms or tests can you really see if everything is working in flow? Yeah, it's, it's such a wonderful question. And it's a hard one to answer because as women, we are such you know, beautifully complex beings. And 
all of us have such an individual makeup and with that such a different environment that we're exposing our body to that can in turn impact our hormones. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a couple of things, if you are someone who maybe has a more regular menstrual cycle and is on the path of trying to conceive that you can start to shift your focus around is again, better understanding your hormones and how those things are ebbs and flowing. So I think we think about our cycle as just our period, right? That we're like, oh, we have a period, so everything's fine. Um, But again, there are so many different fluctuations that are happening in our hormones throughout that 28-day cycle. And I would say smaller things we can start to look for would even be acne flare-ups that are happening maybe mid-cycle around ovulation. It could be... um, as you noted as well, potentially, I mean, not pain, but maybe like a little twang that's happening around ovulation. But I'd say the simplest way to track ovulation is by picking up ovulation sticks at a Duane Reed or Walgreens or whatever it may be and tracking that for a couple months, uh, taking a basal body temperature in the morning and seeing if that fluctuates a bit right around ovulation too. So we can start to just become more curious about our bodies and start to have a little bit more intention and mindfulness around it and start to notice, you know, is this energy shifting? Is digestion shifting? Is skin shifting? How am I feeling? What is my mood like? To start to better understand and get in tune with these fluctuations that are going on so that by the time we get to a point of trying to conceive, we have a, a deeper understanding of ourselves and how these things are moving in our body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, been super empowering to be tracking all these things. I've, yeah, for about a year now, I have the basal body temperature. I know where my LH surge is happening. And these apps, you know, of course you don't have to have them. You can track them in your own way. You can write it on like a piece of paper, but knowing when I have different symptoms throughout the month is kind of like reassuring. Like before I would have, I'm going into all my personal details. details but like I would have like breast pain and then I was like okay like cool I had it at exactly the same time last month and the month before and then when I gave up coffee it went away okay I decided to have coffee Mm -hmm. again it's back like all those things so it's just very empowering to uh, arm yourself with the information and and see the impact of different life choices you make definitely and I and I love your note there on really being kind of a a bit of a detective, as I say it with my clients about yourself, right? Just meet yourself with curiosity. And as you said as well, oh, there's a cycle where maybe I'm having some more menstrual cramps. Okay. Could I maybe try to remove coffee this month? Or could I maybe load up on more wild fatty fish and start to see how that shift things, right? So I think it's just having that self-inquisition, if you will, to better understand how these things that we are interacting with daily, whether it's food, movement, uh, mindfulness, rest, stress, right? Whatever it may be, how it's impacting our hormones and as a result, our cycle and how we can feel those changes. And um, I'll just speak briefly about ovulation for a moment, because I know you mentioned that's something that you've kind of seen with your friends too, is, you know, we can ovulate, but then still not produce enough progesterone, which is the hormone that really starts to rise after ovulation. And progesterone is highly impacted by things like stress and under eating. And those are two big things that that I see that women are are facing all the time, right? So even if we are ovulating, even if we are getting a period, our body might might not be making uh, sufficient progesterone as a result of these stressors that we might not even be paying attention to day to day or realizing how it's impacting our body. And as a result, low progesterone can then cause issues with sleep, 
um, as well as potentially mood. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Mm -hmm. So again, that's where I think the holistic picture of looking at not just food, but also how we are supporting our mental and emotional body, how we are resting, how we are engaging in creativity or play or filling our cup or whatever it may mean to you is all an important part of supporting our hormones. Mm-hmm. Like what, what does the research say about getting off hormonal birth control versus like copper IUD? I know some people are really moving to the IUD because it's non-hormonal, but then I've kind of seen some places where it affects your like you know, reproductive system microbiome and what can people like consider when making that switch or they're on the IUD and considering going off, like what different advice versus hormonal birth control do you have for the IUD? Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's a tough question is a more personal choice. And I think for for everyone, again, having a, a conversation with an OBGYN that you feel comfortable with and you feel safe with is, is so important here. But what we do know from a more again holistic standpoint is that the oral birth control pill tends to have a bit of a heavier impact on the body. Um, like I mentioned, it tends to deplete our body of nutrients and it tends to interact more with our brain signaling with our ovaries. So it has a more systemic approach in the body mm-hmm. versus an IUD, which is working a little bit more locally. Now, there are hormonal IUDs and there are you know the copper non-hormonal IUDs. And both have slightly different impacts in the body, if you will. Um, A non-hormonal IUD, like the copper IUD, tends to have more symptoms come along with it, at least in the beginning, like heavier bleeding and more painful periods, for example. So that's definitely something to consider. Um, And with that, because of the copper, it can potentially also skew zinc levels in the body or cause an issue with iron metabolism down the line. So those are some potential factors to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, it's also a non-hormonal option. So again, everyone has to weigh their own pros and cons. Uh, the hormonal IUDs like the Marina or Skyla, for example, um, they work more locally. So again, different than an oral birth control pill, but they also have been shown to potentially deplete the body of, of different nutrients as well. And that's where especially coming off of an IUD, making sure that you are either taking a high quality prenatal or being really mindful about different foods that are coming in will be important to restore our nutrient stores, especially if you're coming off with the intention of a pregnancy down the line. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love all this stuff. And I know when we talked last month, we were just talking about how kind of for, it sounds like you and how in high school, like as soon as you felt you know, not great in your body, you turn to food because of its power to heal mind, body, and spirit. And I found the same for me in my life. I think whenever I kind of let let my intuition like fall to the side and make different food choices that don't fully fuel me and um, make me feel good in my body, I'm quickly reminded of how important that tool is and nourishment is in not only fueling my body and like giving me nutrients and good fats and all those things, but also making me feel good enough to make aligned choices in my life, to feel centered on all levels. And I would love to hear how when people either go to you or you're working with clients that don't quite have that relationship with food and understanding that it's like a mirror to our relationship with everything in our life? Like, is that 
an education process or do people gently come to that understanding on their own? Um, how do you work with different clients who are coming with different perspectives about food and its ability to heal? Yes, I, I love this question so much. And again, as I guess all of our questions on this podcast are going to be, but it's, it's, it's a complex question because it, it does depend on everyone's initial philosophy or approach and I guess their willingness to dive deeper into that conversation. But for me, when clients are coming to me, they usually already have a certain level of curiosity, I would say, about that. Um, so I, I really do see our connection and understanding to ourselves to be a direct connection to our relationship with food and with the earth and land. And this is something that I do think, as you noted, can be really difficult to grasp, especially if you're living in Manhattan or a city like many of my clients are, where we are inherently disconnected from our land and food system. So I'll also just add for anyone that's interested that Robin Kimmer, actually, have you read Braiding Sweetgrass, Brooke? No, it's on my list. Oh, such a beautiful book. So anyone who's interested in this topic, I highly recommend checking out uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Kimmer. And so she speaks about this really beautifully and the importance of a reciprocal relationship that we need to restore between ourselves, our food, and our land. And I think a part of this is more accepted or easily grasped, or at least the understanding that our food behaviors can reflect our relationship to self. Mm -hmm. But I think a, a clear example of this is like negative self-talk or esteem leading to food restriction or dieting, right? And then on the other hand, self-appreciation and acceptance can go hand in hand with more mindful eating. So I think that that connection is at least getting better understood. But I think what tends to get lost is the, the land part, which I know you and I have talked about as well, too, mm -hmm. and the connection to earth. And, you know, in... In today's society, I mean, 95%, over 95% of all of the meat produced is grown in factory farms. And I think it's something like 80% of all cattle are given hormones and upwards of 70, 75% of all our crops are sprayed with pesticides. And this is extremely far from the image of what I think most people have when they think about how their food is grown, right? The, the white picket fence surrounding the green hills, animals grazing and crops growing have really been replaced by cages and monocrops and pesticides and plastic wraps. And I think that most people either don't realize this or choose not to see it, but the ignorance here can really be a form of suffering. And what I mean by that is when we choose to ignore how our food is being made, how it's getting to our plate, if we only focus on maybe the taste of our favorite Trader Joe's product or whatnot, we not only are you know, harming our land and depleting our soil and impacting a life, but we are in turn actually fueling our own illness in some ways, our own hormone disruption, our own fatigue, antibiotic resistance, immune system issues, and so on. And once we do know the truth, and if we continue to choose to eat without that mindfulness, you know, assuming that you want to live your life with maybe integrity and kindness, then we're no longer living in alignment, right? And so... I, I talk to my clients about how instead if we choose to source responsibly, if we go to a farmer's markets, prioritize you know, organic produce and look at the food we choose to eat as an act of kindness and intention, we make decisions that not only support our land and animals and community, but in turn support our health and can heal our bodies and to treat ourselves with respect and kindness. So mm -hmm. the two are, are really inextricably linked and the last thing I'll note here is that, you know, since Americans are really no longer backyard farmers, 
you know, only sourcing ethically and responsibly um, may not be accessible to everyone. So I really want to make sure that I'm not preaching here that we all have to go, you know, 100% organic or we're not living in alignment. But what is universally available is offering gratitude and slowing down before our meals. And I'm a big believer that intention matters and research is actually backed up as well, that gratitude is a way to boost overall health and practice more mindful and intuitive eating. So Mm -hmm. whether it's giving thanks in your mind, speaking a prayer, or maybe just taking three to five deep breaths to bring yourself back into the present moment before a meal, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really beautiful way to honor the reciprocal relationship and to know that, you know, we are going to be eating something that once lived, whether it's a plant or animal and understand that it's going to be nourishing us. And so in return, we want to offer respect and intention back. So mm-hmm. that's, that's something that I do speak about with nearly all of my clients. Again, even if it's approached through the let's take three to five deep breaths before our meal to bring us back to the present moment and slow down. Yeah. It's so interesting because even just thinking about my um, my relationship with my dad, he's uh, like my favorite person ever, but his relationship with food is very interesting because food philosophy is so personal. Like mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, I, you know, invite him over so that I can cook him a meal and like we can enjoy it together. And but for him, it's like, okay, what takeout should we order? Let's make it quick. Let's eat at the mm-hmm. sink. Like, let's be done. And yeah. so it's just, um, it's just so personal. So it's hard to, it's hard to influence. But I think it's like ignorance is bliss because once you learn all this information, mm-hmm. it's really hard to unlearn it and not make aligned choices because as soon as you do, you feel a little icky in your body. You're like, no, I. I know what feels good to me and it's hard to go back once you learn that information. But to other people who yet aren't there or, you know, are focusing on growth in another area of their life and so food is not the priority, your choices can sometimes look drastic. It's crazy that healthy choices in a not healthy society look radical. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. And, you know, I'll, I'll just add on to that briefly, which is that we are living in such a society that does not set us up to make the more healthful or I say nourishing choices easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to blame the individual. And that's where, again, I think it's so important to meet everyone where they are at and to know that there are so many different factors that are involved in our relationship to food or a prioritization of food and nourishment, right? I mean, I'll just speak again to the, the women's health space for a moment where, I mean, the modern woman is expected to go to work from nine to five and then also show up after work hours with a highly charged social battery to care for others. We have pressures around the idealized body, which can often lead to undereating, coupled with messaging that we should be healthy in an overly processed world, which tends to look like a overconsumption of pricey green powders and, and protein bars. And I'll just say too, like we spend... I mean, especially since COVID as well, we spend so much time indoors in front of screens. um, And then we spend even more time after work hours on smaller screens that usually make us feel, you know, less than great about ourselves or guilty for not doing more with different social media pressures. And a recent article just came out that showed that women are drinking alcohol at higher rates than ever. I see both personally and professionally that, you know, we're exhausted and then turning to coffee for a pick-me-up. We're using substances to relax and disconnect. We're over-prescribed medications across the board. And then on top of it all, 
we're this generation that for the first time ever is going through decades while being disconnected from our cycle because of birth control. I mean, all of that is a lot for women to take on. And now there's also the messaging that we have to heal all these different parts of ourselves. And it can be really overwhelming and stressful on our minds and our bodies. And to be clear again, that it's not that it's the woman's quote unquote fault. I'm not blaming women for this picture. This is just unfortunately the way that society is currently set up as with much bigger players in the works creating this environment. But I, I really do see, especially in my practice, that underneath a lot of the gut issues or hormone imbalances or thyroid conditions that come up is really this burnout or fatigue or disconnection because of the environment that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you've mentioned like under eating and how that can lead to a slew of hormone changes. Personally, post-college, I was kind of just cruising through life on autopilot and put on mm-hmm. 10 pounds. And that is when I actually found my period was absolutely out of whack. My hormones mm-hmm. were out of whack. So for me, I found that um, actually overconsumption led to a lot of hormone imbalance in my body. And I mean, in this country, we do have a obesity crisis and this is not to shame under eating or overeating. Like, you know, mm-hmm. people are on the journey that they're on, but um would love to hear the impact of that in fertility and hormone balance too. Yeah, weight is a, a really tricky topic. And I am a, a weight neutral practitioner, which means that I really don't speak about weight with my clients. And that's because I am a big believer that if we instead focus on how do we use food as a form of self-respect, as a form of caring for ourselves, of nourishment, of joy, of pleasure, uh, that the weight will usually fall where it is meant to fall for each body. I, I speak about the, the under-eating because what, what we're seeing a lot in the more functional dietetic space is that regardless of weight, that there is this constant pressure in society on women to be uh, in a smaller body, right? To look a certain way, to manipulate their body, to represent what is being glamorized in the media. And that can really lead to a lot of restrictive behaviors. We also are even now seeing it with the glamorization of different trends like intermittent fasting, which is literally telling you to skip meals throughout the day and not nourish your body when it's hungry, right? So there's a lot of pressure on women to restrict. Everyone's baseline is different, right? And our hormones, our reproductive hormones in particular, tend to respond to a sense of safety that is built in the body. And so when we have stress in the body, whether that's through the form of undernourishment or undereating because of either intentional or unintentional restriction, or whether it's because of the stress that's being put on emotionally or maybe to your point as well, stress that's put on because of maybe overconsumption of potentially highly processed foods or foods that are not serving our body. Um, our reproductive hormones are usually the first thing to start to uh, be messed with, if you will. And so we see irregular periods, we see missed periods, we see um, just in general cycle irregularity and discomfort coming up when we create an environment that is not one that's rooted in safety within ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So beautiful. Our bodies want safety. That's, yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> That's actually usually where I start with my clients because, again, going back to the the modern day environment that so many of so, so many of us are living in, I mean, stress, whether it's the form of physical stress or emotional stress, is so prevalent. And oftentimes, rather than trying to use food as a means to an end rather than using it as a way to try and manipulate something which can often create more stress in the body i'm like let's just slow down and, and recreate that sense of connection self and trust within our body how can we show our body okay you're hungry i'm gonna listen to you i'm gonna feed you and i'm gonna feed you in a way that is nourishing right in a way that uses whole foods or in a way that is going to help support my overall health rather than creating that distrust or that sense of unsafety if you will when I feel like I'm hungry and I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to just drink coffee and try and shut that down for another few hours or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think that's just such a beautiful thread. Like in this conversation, in the conversation I've had with other women, it's this trust in your own intuition in all aspects of life. And so the more you can clear space, clear your life to make room to listen to that voice is powerful. Totally agree. And I always make the the joke to my clients as well that, well, yes, I'm there to offer some education and, you know, talk about how the hormones ebb and flow and uh, the different, you know, biochemical processes that are going on. At the end of the day, a lot of the information that I'm providing, you already have. It's more of a re-remembering that's going on. And if you just tune in to that intuition or inner voice, you actually know how to care for yourself in a way that's really going to be supportive. And yes, I can come in and offer some, some supplements or maybe herbal support to kind of jumpstart that or or kickstart things, if you will. But the sustained changes over time, you know how to do that. And it's just about, again, reconnecting to that intuition that will guide you through. Okay. What are you seeing in the research that's like really exciting you? What are you like going down a rabbit hole on lately? And then also, can you touch on castor oil? Because I'm so curious (laughs) how to use it. I saw you post an article how do you like, how do you go about putting on castor oil patches? What do they do? Yes. Um, let me think about the research one without getting too sciencey. Um, you can get sciencey if you want. I'll touch on this because I think it's super cool. So something that I could totally geek out on is the relationship between copper, vitamin A, and iron. And so this probably sounds really niche. So I'll kind of bring it back to everyone who's listening in the sense that you might have heard that you know iron anemia or iron deficiency anemia is really common, right? And everyone's, uh, especially going into potentially pregnancy and during pregnancy, we're diagnosed as being anemic and we're told we need to eat more iron rich foods. And I think that's also a big concern when people are going plant-based as well around iron needs. And that's a little bit of a different story, but there's always this big talk around iron. And what's really interesting, and I'm really simplifying this here, but the body's actually really good at recycling iron. So we actually don't need all that much iron to be coming in through our food. But in order for iron to be better utilized by the body, it needs to have both copper and vitamin A. And those are two foods that can be much more difficult to find in our food supply. And so what can happen is we can see maybe lab results of iron coming back that are a little bit off. 
and people are maybe even experiencing symptoms of anemia, like fatigue is a really common one. But the answer is actually not to take iron or to eat iron-rich foods. It's actually to focus on more of the copper and vitamin A-rich foods that used to be really prevalent in our diets, but especially in America, are just not consumed anymore. And a big one is liver. So I'm not sure if you've come across this in the health space, but liver is finally having its moment again. And this is a, a food that has traditionally been eaten for centuries, but again, doesn't really have a place in American cuisine, but it's so nutrient dense. And it's one that, especially for my clients who are trying to conceive and even those that are pregnant, that I will recommend in smaller amounts because it really can work almost like a super powered multivitamin, but through a whole food source. It's, it's really cool. Um, but of course, again, going back to our conversation around sourcing and kind of the connection to land, that's where the sourcing is really important because liver, again, is that detoxification organ. If we are not sourcing liver correctly, then we are also consuming all the other things that liver is trying to move through, like potentially the antibiotics that cattle was given. So choosing high quality, 100% grass fed liver is a really lovely choice in supporting energy and also overall hormone health, as well as iron metabolism. Uh, Lily Nichols is a wonderful uh, registered dietitian that works in the prenatal space, and she has some really great hidden liver recipes. So for anyone who's scared about using liver, <laughs> you can go and check her recipes out. Or there's a brand, I think it's called Force of Nature, that makes ground beef blends with organ meat in it. So again, you don't taste it quite as much. And my clients have had a lot of success with that. That's cool. And castor oil. <laughs> yes. It's not something that has really been studied too much in research. So it's more of a just traditional practice that has been used for a long time. And the way that you would use it is you essentially would get the castor oil. And I mean, the traditional way is really putting it on the lower abdomen. And then you can either use a towel or potentially a towel with some heat on top of it. Or now they're selling like through Queen of Thrones castor oil packs. So you'll get like a patch that's kind of a little bit neater, if you will, uh, to tie around you. And you can sit there for 30 minutes or even overnight. And the idea is that it helps to really move stagnation in the body and potentially even some heavy metals and things of that nature. So it's something that can be recommended for women who are dealing with menstrual cramps, um, potentially liver concerns. So I have a history of some more liver related issues. So I was using castor oil for a bit for that purpose. Um, even endometriosis has been started to be used for in that purpose as well. Well, I just love hearing you talk about all things women's health, and it's a topic I feel very passionate about. Um, and so I'm so glad people like you are out there as a resource for people if they're struggling in their health, struggling in their conception journey, postpartum. Um, I think you have so many free resources on your Instagram and also courses people can take or work with you directly. So I'm just so glad that people have you to go to while they're on this journey. Thank you so much, Brooke. And yeah, I feel like it's such an exciting space to be in. And I love seeing again, podcasts like this one popping up, that's really offering a space to connect directly with women. And that's made for women, because I do think we continuously need more resources out there that are really invested in supporting womanhood across the board. Uh, of course. Do you have um, courses coming out this fall or winter or what is coming up next for you? Yes. So I actually have a kind of mini course coming up on aligning your life to your cycle. 
So again, if you're anyone who's coming off of birth control or if you're someone who is better trying to understand those ebbs and flows of our body, this course is really designed to help you know how to eat, maybe look at movement, potentially socialization or work efficiency, and line that up in a way that is supportive to our body's natural cycle. So that's going to be coming out soon. And then I actually have a transitioning off of birth control masterclass coming up around the end of the month too. So oh, wow. two exciting new offerings on that the way. Be a good one. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Brooke.